The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I'm joined by Carla Berliard, and Carla's from the Dominican Republic. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. And we're going to be talking about some cross-cultural birth stuff. So it's really, really interesting. She's just giving me some um, some little teasers before we started recording about um, some of this stuff, and I'm just, I'm just really interested. I'm so excited. So tell us a little bit more about your history. Okay, so I came to the United States... When I was 17 years old, I had a hard time, I have to say. Um, but I, I went on to uh, finishing high school here. I went to school. I did two years of psychology. Um, then I moved to Utah because the first place I moved to was Florida. Um, I moved to Utah and I went to school to be a food scientist so I can develop nutritional products and things mm. like that. Um, then I de- I've developed a, a career educating about some products from our company here in Utah. And uh, then I had a baby. And I had a, at my 20-week ultrasound, I was told that my baby was going to be born with a cleft. And that means that my child was going to have and is going to have lots of surgeries throughout her life. So for me, that was, um, that opened a door for me to look into births outside of the hospital setting mm-hmm. because I just wanted for her to be born whenever she felt like she needed to come. And, um, I also, I'm a control freak, and I did not want a doctor telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. And I was blessed to have that opportunity, to have a say, and to be able to actually uh, have a vaginal birth outside of a hospital with a baby in such a situation. Wow. So I gave birth with a midwife, a couple doulas, and I felt like I was the most powerful woman in the world. Yeah. So to me, that kind of planted a seed. A couple of years later, I started questioning whether I wanted to do what I'm doing right now for work for my whole life. Mm. Um, was that fulfilling enough? You know, I just started to ask those questions. And then I thought, I'm going to give it a try into this doula thing. I took a course with Melissa Chapel. You guys had her here before, mm-hmm. and she's awesome. Hi, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I did my first doula birth with one of my good friends here, and I thought, ah, oh, career go. change. I just got to go head into this call thing. the doula work the gateway drug into. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's crazy, it really right? is. It really is. So yeah, you can't there. unsee it. Once nope. you experience it or see an amazing birth, you honestly can't. can't unsee it. Yep. Yeah. So from there, I started to do a, lo- a few more doula births, and then I decided I want to be a midwife. So I'm on that path right now. So I, yeah, I'm a student midwife right now. It takes Very a while. Cool. But yep, it does take a while. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, so tell us um, about um, the the birthing culture in Latin America. And, and what's, what it kind of looks like down there. And then then we're going to go to how that, um, the Latin culture here yeah. in, in the USA and, and birthing yeah. in that pocket of the universe. Okay. <laughs> this is a great question because um, out of my whole family, um, from my dad's side, which is who I grew up with, um, and even my mom's side, like my direct family members, I was the first one to do a birth outside of a hospital, a vaginal birth, not involving a C-section. Really? For generations? Yeah. So you were born via C-section? Oh, yeah. My uh-huh. mom was so scared of pushing. She told All me the pushing. That, yeah. She told me that she told the doctor, just open me up and get her out. Okay. So, <laughs> so then, um, so you can imagine that brought 
uh, a bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, are you sure, Carla, you want to do that? Uh, questioning and things. Did they think that you were going like, to kill your, your your baby by doing a home <laughs> birth or a birth center birth? Or were they just worried about you and the pain? Um, All of it. They were like, are you sure you can handle this? And are you sure? Is this the right call for your baby? Mm-hmm. Um, are you sure you want to do this? So, um, fortunately, <laughs> in this case, my family lives in the DR, most of them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have them breathing on my neck about it because maybe that would have affected my decision. Oh, totally, right? If they were right next yes. door. <laughs> but with that said, I mean, I'm talking about over 10 women talking to me about this. What does that say about the birthing culture mm-hmm. back home? Women are scared. Um, and for generations, they never, maybe have never seen a woman vaginally delivering a baby. Mm-hmm. It's uh, all about, well, you get pregnant, you go to the OB, you plan your C-section, and and they get baby out. Um, and so, so yeah, that that's as much as I know um, back home. That's what you see. That's the normal. It is normal. Mm-hmm. And what is the, the mentality behind it? Is it cheaper for them or is it is it a fear? What is it? So what I've researched and, you know, asking around, you, at least 10 years ago, you only gave birth vaginally if you don't have the resources to pay for a C-section. That's also true in Brazil and other Latin American cultures. Right? That shows that you're poor and nobody wants uh-huh. to look poor. Right. You don't want to look poor, so, um, and I mean, there are several, like, documentaries talking about this, not specifically specifically for the Dominican Republic, for Latin America Uh culture in general, just how, um, yeah, families will give up their savings for their daughter to have a C-section. Well, it's almost like it's acceptable in the U.S. to just give up everything for a wedding. Yeah, like exactly. Like to go into an incredible debt for yes. a dress you can't afford. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly how actually I've um, wow. put it in the past. And so um, I just want to say, disclaimer, everyone, C-sections are life-saving oh, surgeries. amen, sister. <laughs> Right. Totally. I, just, I don't want to sound like this person. Heaven bless this. Yes, this, this medical model of birth. Yeah, for sure. But but if it's... But the thing that happened is when in the United States, when C-sections became the most popular thing, well, Latin American cultures, countries, not cultures, look at the United States as the leader, as the, you know, the norm like this is what mm. we should do but the u.s has never had a c-section rate as high as as latin america no so they took what what they saw going on here and they just yep exactly. made it even cooler <laughs> so it's uh well if they do it over there then we must be doing something wrong here um so they haven't gotten the memo that we're like going home to birth <laughs> now right i don't think so honestly and it's a sad reality mm-hmm. um when i was doing the research for for our conversation today, everything that came up is how the rates of C-sections are going up too fast. They're doubling, they're tripling. Wow. Um, how, and these, and we're talking about Latin American cult, uh, countries, which are most of them third world countries. They're poor countries. My country is a poor country. You know, we share land with Haiti, which is even poorer. Um, and then you have the, the other side of the spectrum where in Haiti, some medical doctors that provide C-sections are needed because then you have the women that are, you know, struggling and they Definitely. can't. And so. But so, just to do it as a matter of practice. Exactly. So the culture of fear surrounding childbirth has, um, there's, there's two things I see what you're mm-hmm. saying is that mm-hmm. the U.S. makes it cool. Whatever that means. Or made it. Made it seem cool. It made it seem cool. Mm-hmm. And then the second is a culture of fear surrounding childbirth. Yes. And then it just perpetuates. Because it sounds like not very many people even know what pushing even feels like. But no. they're so afraid of that actual phase that the entire culture has turned to C-section. Yeah. And then does the medical establishment benefit from that? Or, I mean, yes. here C-sections are wildly <laughs> expensive, but you have options. Is it the same way down there? So, yes. So the reality is, I just mentioned... 
we're talking about poor countries, right? Um, doctors don't get paid as much if they don't do C-sections. Because if they do a C-section, they get paid um, by the uh, insurance. Oh, so it's it's a very similar model to ours? Yes. Oh, whoops. So so, yeah. so poor families, they don't have medical insurance, so then they're ha- paying cash for C-sections. Some of them do have, um, you know, the cheapest uh, insurance they can find. And um, because, and I think that's a little bit different uh, than here in the United States. Um, you know, most people that work would have insurance, even if they work for a grocery store. Okay, so a lot a like store. the USA. Mm-hmm. And so that means, well, this is what this is what my insurance pays for. Oh, that so too. So the insurance um, encourages yeah. it as well. Yeah, huh. it's a it's a perpetuating cycle. Yeah, who do we need to talk to in the insurance industry to let them know that like oh birth center birth is so much cheaper? It's so much cheaper. I mean, you would think that insurance companies would want to cut costs, right? Because they try and do that for everything else. So how can we get like Cadillac medical costs for birth, but everywhere else you need cancer, you have you need surgery for cancer, whatever, and you're on these like waiting lists. And it's yeah, really dumb. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand. Or diabetes medication is through the roof. Come on, people. Come on. <laughs> Priorities. Let's we let's use our money. I just save. I like, feel my soapbox getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> we just need to use our money in a in a wiser way. Yeah. Not every woman needs a C section. But it's not even just the money too. It's the culture. So yeah. yeah. It's when did this start happening? When did the shift? So um, are we talking like last generation or <laughs> a long time ago? I'm talking about. At least 50 years ago. At least 50 years ago. These mm. sections weren't even that safe 50 years ago. Nope. There yeah. was. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine my grandma that had. Um, Your grandma had C-sections. Yes. Yes, she did. Both of my grandmas actually had C-sections. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. So I'm talking about information that there are just a few things, you know, back, way back. But then what I found is that in the last 25 years, um, C-sections have been incremented into, uh, to 150%. They've increased 150%? Yes. Wow. And, so and that was already high. So are we at like high. 95% babies born in C-section? Or what's the, <laughs> what's the rate of babies? Do you know? So... In the Dominican Republic, we're talking about 58.1% of births are done through C-section. And that's probably because the other percentage are women in villages and in the countryside that don't have access to private medical. So this weird question, but then if you give birth... Vaginally, you are not only seen as poor, okay, but you don't get to tell your birth story. Like, are there any great vaginal birth stories? Like, no, no. I've never heard of someone in the Dominican Republic that has given birth vaginally. Um, that is like that that was appreciated this experience. No, it's traumatic. (gasps) Wow, it's usually okay. So, yeah, I'm just gonna say these little numbers and then we'll go into that. Yeah, because I have. Two very recent family members. Um, so then in Brazil, it goes to fifty-five point five percent. This was these were stats from twenty eighteen. So mm-hmm. you know, not my, that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Brazil, um, which it there is more information about Brazil. Maybe it's a bigger country, and there's people doing studies there on site. It goes to a ninety-five percent in private hospitals whoa so we're talking about where people can actually afford things yes we're talking about people that oh my gosh can actually pay for their care and that are probably educated have good jobs Mm -hmm. they go to the private hospital and they still get c-sections and there is a great not to be you know promoting anything but there is a great series in Netflix about births in Brazil. It, it was done in Brazil. Mm-hmm. It's like three parts of this documentary called Birth Reborn. I think you should all watch it. That yeah. gives you a mo- an insight um, wow. of what it looks like in Latin America. Even though, you know, Brazil, they don't speak Spanish, but it's still part of our continent. And yeah, yeah, for sure. So going back to my two recent... Uh, family members back in the Dominican Republic. 
Uh, I do have to say that my generation and the younger generation, they're waking up to their power. Mm -hmm. They're waking up to, I mean, I guess we're, we have more access to information yeah. and we are more connected through social media. So if I see that Sarah had a vaginal birth, I start questioning why can't I have one, right? Yeah. So that yeah. is good. That's a good thing that I see that's coming from So now the peer pressure is coming the other way. Uh -huh. But this this brings up a really interesting point that, um, so vaginal birth here is physiologically <laughs> identical to vaginal birth there, and yet there, theirs is, is completely surrounded with trauma and yes. social status, and it ends up being a horrible experience for them when physiologically they've, they're experiencing the mm -hmm, same thing mm -hmm. that we are doing here. I mean, no, so it no. means that birth a lot is in our head. Yeah, and don't go too far. If you go into the villages of the Dominican Republic, all women do is give birth vaginally because that's what they do. They're too far from a hospital. So what do you... And I wonder if they feel traumatized. They probably do. Because there's still this negative connotation to birth. Wow. It's the scariest thing that could happen to someone. And there's a lot of shame, too. There's what? a lot of shame. Well, you <sighs> know, Dominican Republic uh, and, and other Latin American uh, countries and cultures are, um, they come from a Catholic background. Mm. So, you know, usually a woman in the village... Mm, I would say a big percentage, they're not married. They're younger adolescents that got pregnant because of low education, um, low, you know, lack of empowerment. All sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons. <laughs> so then, so that there's the shame surrounded oh, by goodness. this baby, you know, this thing that happened because I did something wrong, you know. So there is no uh, supportive, not everyone has that support and Say, hey, I've got you, you know. Yeah, you have a baby and you're going to give birth to a baby, but it's fine. We, we've got it. And culturally, it is it is so that grandmas will take care of their, you know, grand, grandkids. But everything building up to that baby being born is surrounded by shame, you know, by this. Wow. It's just, it's a negative, it's a mm -hmm. negative thing. It's not something that you wanted it and you... Oh, I love you so much, and this is this will be fine. I've got your back. So, um, I have two um, family members that I love so much, um, and they both had babies within this year. So, one of them gave birth vaginally at a hospital, and she was telling me her experience, and it was just heartbreaking. The doctor would. Um, do uh, vaginal exams without her consent, mm -hmm. would tell her not to scream. Why is she screaming? I'm trying to help you. Just get that baby out. Those were the words that she heard. Um, like, what's such the big deal? It doesn't hurt. That type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then you have this other uh, family member who, this is her second baby, and she's got some... Uh, health situations that, in my opinion, don't have to do anything with birth. Mm -hmm. But she was told since the beginning that she was not going to be able to push ever because she could die. And so she's had two C-sections. And so I just think, why the heck Why the heck do we have to experience... Wait, why would she die if she pushed? Um, she, would, with, she would not be able to take... The, the strength, like the... The pain. The exhaustion that you have to go through when you push. No, because you can have an epidural, right? You don't have to go through pain. I'm just... I'm Physiologically, the pain of childbirth doesn't kill you unless, like, there's something right. no, oh. that's wrong. Well, hello. I've given birth <laughs> vaginally, no epidural. I've, I've done it four times, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... I mean, you feel like you're going to die, but um, I, can you actually die? I'm just... You, you could if you had a specific medical situation right right, right. another medical situation but, but it's it, it usually is not due to the pain no it's more like oh your blood I've pressure been to so many high. exactly blood pressure other things mm -hmm. i've been to so many um births where the midwife is there in the ear going it's not the, the pain isn't bigger <laughs> than you because it is you you know this yeah. is <laughs> this You're is not fine. an external you're force you're not gonna die honey it's and okay. your your body's smart too yeah yeah so i yeah I just regret a lot that I wasn't there to look at their 
look at them in their face and say, you can do this. It's fun. <laughs> look, I have all this research. Look, yeah. read, read this. Yeah. Um, but Or also, even watch. Yeah. Watch films right. and look yeah. at pictures. And But it's almost like they're brainwashed. They, it's almost like they think, well, you can do that over there, not here. So it's funny that... Because we have different... Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> yes, different physiology. But even things. even when they come over here, they automatically miraculously have an American body. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like it's all about getting off the plane and yes. stepping on American this ground. This is an untapped market. <laughs> this is what if you could bottle that oh, and take it down there yeah. and tell them if you drink this, you will have an American body. Yeah. <laughs> it's just and it's so sad. It's so sad because the one that gave birth vaginally she knows it can be better yeah but guess what she's not yeah. rich and she has insurance but yeah so That's her provider you, was like mm -hmm. i don't care about you because i'm not doing a c-section on you so i'm not getting paid as much so here we go uh, vaginal birth you mean yes you the, the one that had the vaginal birth she had she had the most traumatic experience ever yeah so times. so the 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 problem also is that the culture uh, surrounding birth isn't just located in South America. No, it's not. When there's pockets of the culture here in yes, the USA, exactly. you see the same rates. And it's because when you move to the United States, you don't automatically lose your culture as much as right. we were joking about. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> right. You well, don't lose. no, I don't lose your culture. You would have a body. It's, yeah. it's, a fairly, it's, it's just merely a physiological change. That, right. But you don't lose the connections with no. your friends back home, mm -mm. especially through social media. You don't lose the connection with your grandma and your mom and your For aunts, sure. right? Mm -hmm. You still talk to them or you still hear them talk. Mm -hmm. And what they have to say about birth, it's usually not mm -hmm. not uh, positive. Mm -hmm. I think we forget sometimes in the super empowered birth world mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that that. We are kind of in our own echo chamber, yes. just as um, they are in their own echo chamber. Exactly. And for us to judge what they think about birth, it's just really unfair. We can't. Because we have years of, I mean, I know that I've, I've spent years build, reach, framing my, mm -hmm. my views on birth. And I have a, a pretty supportive family and a very supportive mm -hmm. spouse. And so even then I still get in these like little brain, mm -hmm. you know, glitches. And so you think like this entire, to be bathed in this soup. <laughs> for generations. It's not like you can just sit yeah. her down and say, guess what? You're empowered. Me and my uh, sister-in-law, we were talking the other day how we think, because she was the first one that I knew that started doing births with mid midwives and she's mm -hmm. had three already. And so that was a blessing to me because she had done it before. She and what was, was her decision? What What was her catalyst? Um, She basically knew that her mom had given birth vaginally but it was not so there was that she, little window of yeah. but hey. she was never instilled fear about it mm. and so mm -hmm. and so that's how that's how it starts it's just having a normal conversation about birth and like yeah i gave birth vaginally it was yeah Okay, so so it's really easy for me to say, um, okay, you're pregnant, get a birthing gown and cater for birth and get a photographer and get some pretty lights. And that's do, 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 do. perfect for the it's United great. States. It's fine if that's where you are. But where do we start in helping women understand? Because th there's nothing wrong with the C-section. It's life-saving. No, no. However, repeat C-sections, very dangerous. I, I think... I think um, women need to be educated about consequences mm -hmm. and about uh, what it takes and what it does to the body. And then, and then they can, they can decide if it's a life or death situation. I'm not going to doubt it. No, heavens. No, I that's why we have live them. And I want my baby to yep. live. Right. Yep. And, and that's why yes. you have C-sections. But then when you go deep into consequences that women are not talked up to, or that they're not. I mean, this is major abdominal surgery. It is a major surgery. So that's the first thing. Do I want to have a major surgery just because? No, I don't. I really don't. And I would love for every woman to be given that option and to be respected. Right. Um, so then you have the increase of premature babies. With increase, with more C-sections? With more C-sections. And this is because doctors plan 
C-sections according to what's happening in their lives, not according to a mom and due dates and stuff. And due dates can't be um, some mixed. Someone went, yeah, well, right? people cook their babies at different speeds. <laughs> exactly. And so because every woman is different, every baby's different, every baby's growing in a different way, right? You have... The usual, oh, at 35 weeks, this is happening to your baby. But some babies are not going through that at 35 weeks. And so are you looking at that baby as one baby? Or are you looking at this mom as just another mom giving mm -hmm. birth with me, right? So that's that's the first consequence. Then you have different expo like exposures hormonally, uh, physically, and, and bacterially, which is important. When babies go through the vaginal canal, they have like their first vaccine, you know, it's, um, and so that increases. Yeah. A lot of people may not know this, but the gut flora of a baby is not seeded, yes. I guess, properly yeah. until, and so they go through a mom's uh, vaginal canal, vaginal canal, and they will pick up all of that through their, through their face, their mouth, yep. and that helps seed and... Babies born via C-section will pick up the bacteria of the doctor's hands. Yes. <laughs> well, the gloves. Not literally. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So then there's an increase in sepsis and or like infections for mom, mm -hmm. a decrease in uh, immunological properties in baby. Mm -hmm. um, then there's the changes that the mom's body doesn't go through. Then there's a lack of production of milk. So there's the lack of breastfeeding or the lack of successful yeah, breastfeeding. Yeah, because um, uh, labor will, it's it's like a cocktail of hormones yeah. and jump starts mm -hmm. breastfeeding and all exactly. these other. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Then you have. Oxytocin. Mm -hmm, you have an increase in allergies and asthma in babies because of the same bacteria. So exposure. since we have a, what, a 95% in private hospitals, are they seeing problems with asthma and allergies in Babies yes. a lot more in That's, this, in this. This is the study I grabbed those, uh, yeah, these list of things. It's, the, they've been looking at that mm -hmm. and they looked at over 30,000 moms um, in total and then they sectioned it as regions. So then, you know, then there's the 10, 10 times more chances of uh, maternal death and five times more, uh, chances of fetal death compared to vaginal birth, right? Um, then you have the uterine rupture, which can always happen due to a C-section, right? Which is why you should be given that option. Are you sure you want to give birth? Are these families do having big families still? Or, or is there a correlation with how much money you have and less yes, C-sections? Definitely. Or less babies? Less babies. Mm -hmm. Fewer babies. Mm -hmm. Fewer grammar. babies. <laughs> yeah. And so, but that depends. Where are you in the spectrum of the socio? Well, that's what I'm wondering. If you have, if you're, if you're poor, but you still keep having these babies. Yeah, if you you're could poor, have, you keep having babies. You keep having C-sections because you already had one. So, what does that mean for the mom? Right. That's it's, really scary. It's scary. And the VBAC, I'm sure, is completely unheard of. Oh no! You but, only do that if you're giving birth in the car accidentally. Right. If you I've have a car. I've only heard of one person, and she has a big voice in the Dominican Republic. She's one of those influencers, and she was educating on VVAC, which I applaud her for doing that because that's the first person I've ever seen that has some knowledge about VVAC. And she brought on her OB, and they were having kind of like a panel, mm -hmm. you know, like breaking those myths. Yeah. But again. She has that option because she has influence and money to find a doctor that suits her needs. Oh my goodness. Right? So complicated. Exactly. It's just, it's something that... You can't just announce to the world, I'm going to have a V-back or... Yeah. yeah. But now, and um, I mean, and I'm talking about Latin America and in English. So I know that if someone's listening and she's a Latina, then that means she's here in the United States. Yeah. So what I want to say is... She, you, whoever's listening, you have the option of changing your, your, your paradigm. Like you, you have that option. So we've talked about these things and they're a little scary and I'm not trying to discourage you from having a C-section. Nope. We just want to know, we just want you to know that it doesn't have to be your story. Mm -hmm. You can be the first person to do it in your family where you say, hey, um, 
can we talk about birth here? How was your experience? Um, and why do you think that, it was I mean, so even negative? that, just to go up against mom and grandma's stories, yeah. that's a, that pull up your big girl pants. Exactly. That's a big job. But it can help heal. Oh, amen. It can help change. I mean, if you're aware mm-hmm. of, okay, you know, 30 years ago, things were so different. My yep. mom didn't have the option. Or she felt like she didn't right. have the option. I've been to so many births where the mom is very nervous because she oh. experienced, you know, she's got this ball of, you know, fear. <laughs> and then her daughter ends up having this amazing experience. And, and she said, whole life changes. Yeah. It, it, it breaks their brain. They're over in the corner, like crying mm-hmm. and processing Moms and crying. heal through mm-hmm. us. They do. And I saw this last year. My cousin came to give birth here and because she had moved away from the United States, she moved to Mexico. She came just to have her baby here and she asked me, hey, can I, can you give me the information of your midwife? I was like, oh my gosh, this was, this was her third baby and we're, I'm talking about my cousin who's my sister. We grew up together, same house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that right there, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's willing to do this. I'm so excited. And I was there. My aunt came from the Dominican Republic. And that was a rough thing for my aunt to, you know, because she just didn't trust. She didn't have that trust. She, you know, and it's natural. Yeah. She's like, we're not in a hospital, first of all. We're, what happens if, what happens if there's an emergency? And so I was there to reassure her. Like, yeah. If there's an emergency, there is a hospital um, two miles away. Yeah, there's that education that right. you know um, you can actually get yeah. treated in the emergency room a lot, t- a lot of times, mm. even faster than yeah. if you're already in the hospital and they have to prep for yeah. the C-section. Uh, the movies make it look like when you have a C-section, it's ah, oh, quick, and you know, baby's <laughs> yeah. out in 30 seconds, but it's not. Sometimes, no. sometimes baby will sit there for a couple hours mm-hmm. while a slot opens. Or, they do it. Mm-hmm. And so, and another question my aunt had is like. Isn't her heart going to give out because she's pushing? And it's, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow. no, no, it's fine. We're monitoring her. It, she's doing okay. And that's where they, the fear of death is. That's, they really think that phys- physically we cannot sustain that no. level of pressure. Uh-huh, of discomfort. And wow. All, and there's a lot of emotions going yeah. on. So, you know, another question she had is like, but I think she can't take this pain anymore because she's been, you know, expressing. And I was like, this is good because it's transition. She wasn't like this before. You know, this is yes. just a few. So I was there, but at a point I was like, yeah, you need to take a walk. Yep. <laughs> because her her emotions, her uh, nervousness was affecting. My For sure. Is so, it, you, you do feel the emotions of oh, the yeah. people in the room. And if you have somebody that's mm-hmm. very, very, very unsupportive of the situation, you cannot. And it's not that she was not supportive. It's just she didn't know well, she could yeah, support this. Exactly. It's her daughter going Un- mis- through it. Not right? understanding. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but after everything happened, it was, again, I saw that. I saw my aunt healing. And that was like the most awesome thing yeah. I could see. Yeah. Because, because, yeah, because these women in my family didn't have that option. Yeah. Right. They were told that they couldn't. And I just um, grew up never wanting to give birth because I didn't want to see section, right? And so just to think that I started that chain in my family is really cool. I say that um, a good birth can change a family tree. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's doing, you well, know. Your, your, your daughter has a different story already. Yeah. And yeah. what we do sometimes is literally we sit and we watch uh, vaginal births with Eva and she's not even three but she's a birth she junkie I love it <laughs> and I explained to her what's happening she's like you know she's engaged with me and I just love that we can share that yeah and in the future if she does decide to have a baby or not have a baby or even become an, an OB or she can do whatever she, she wants whatever she wants mm-hmm. but she'll always have for her that mom always shared the truth and always shared as transparent as it could. Yeah, and, yeah. I love the transparency. Yeah. More transparency. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, talk about informed consent. I know we've talked a lot about this, but oh, yeah. specifically, how does this cultural um, filter? You know what? I don't see inform- informed consent for my Latina sister as much as 
Informed consent is when you actually give consent to a procedure yeah. done. And so... And that you know all the options around it and you give consent to it. <laughs> and I see it happening when women are informed themselves and they when they question. Oh, what happens in questioning in these? Uh, it depends. You can have uh, someone that's downplaying, downplaying your your concerns or making you feel like you don't know enough, and uh, and the doctor is the one that knows. So, oh, you, you mentioned that before we started recording too. That that is deeply embedded in the culture is that yes. the doctor knows best. Yeah, and we. As, oh, that's right. We as the American culture is becoming a little bit less. Um, we're a little. We're a little jaded. <laughs> I mean, I still respect my doctor, but there, mm-hmm. we are allowed to question. Yes, culturally, you're not mm-hmm. back home and. In Mexico, you're just not allowed. They know best. And in this study, the studies that I read is that whether you're poor and young and an adolescent that knows nothing or you're educated and you have money, these women are giving up their power to doctors Mm -hmm. because they believe they know best. Now, mind you, OBs are most, mostly male. Mm -hmm. So these men haven't gone through labor. They're, some of them are not married, right? Maybe their wives went through C-sections themselves. Yeah. And so they just don't their perspective. know. So, so coming back to the United States, the Latino culture, um, it can go both ways. And I always emphasize in the importance of knowing who you choose to be your provider. Maybe talking about how your provider is working for you and not you for your provider mm-hmm. is the first step. Like empowering everyone, whether you're black, Latino, Asian, mm-hmm. white, how if you choose to work with a provider, that provider's working for you. Mm-hmm. You're paying that person. Yeah. That's a completely different paradigm it shift. Is. Even here in the US, that's yeah. a, you can have a very empowered, <laughs> uh, informed mom and yet she still mm-hmm. um, gives a lot of control. Yep. Mm-hmm. To and thinking that she works for them. So speaking of the male um, doctors, how do how are dads in the birth space in this culture? What 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 is their place? Completely detached. Completely detached. At least the older generation. My dad was not allowed to be with my mom in the C-section room, and even one of my good friends from childhood, uh, she had to have. A C-section, and this was a C-section that was needed, mm-hmm. but her husband was not allowed to be in there because it was a high risk. Well, if it's a high risk, I want my husband there. Yeah. Because it's a high risk. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> I want to be accompanied. Yes. I don't want to be I would be love alone. to die alone. Thank you very much. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you gown that guy if you have to gown even you the, gown the guy. The, the hair the follicle. Yes. I don't care. But I want my husband there, right? And so when my friend, and this was last week, we had a conversation over the weekend because I was like, I'm going to have this uh, podcast interview and you're there in the thick of it. You live Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, uh, she had a, uh, she has a doctor that made her feel empowered and not alone. But guess what? My friend is in the upper Middle class. Right. And she's also so we, in the United States? No. She's oh, no. Back she's home. down. Oh, she is back home. But she has more resources than yeah. everyone else would. She's a lawyer. She works. Her husband's a lawyer. So they're pretty well. So she's not being burned as a witch down there? Uh, no, she's not. <laughs> okay. Because there's that too. We went, we went through that, that phase in America. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. I mean, I am... And we were like, I was like crying because we were just sending voice messages. And I'm like, I'm so glad that you had that. And that you, but she was empowered. Yeah. She educated herself. Mm-hmm. She did go to prenatal classes with her husband. She did what she needed to do. So that's what I mean. Yeah. As long as a woman is empowered and knows that she can question the provider, I think that's a good start. Whether you're wherever you are yeah because i'm going to say even if you're in mexico you might have an option of going to another provider Mm -hmm. you know 
maybe it's not like this is the doctor um, that you that everyone in this area has to go with. Well, right? I mean, when I switched to home births, um, there was that. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry, you can't afford it. We'd be happy to pay the. And I was like, actually, it isn't about money. We we could have qualified for Medicaid. So it was not about the money. Mm. It really was about the choice. So what I guess you wanted mm-hmm. even in even in those circumstances, there is always the choice to to go. Another way. Another right? way, yeah. There is the choice. You just have to have the ability. The, I hate to use the word empowerment. It's so overused. <laughs> but you just have to have the informed Inform, knowledge. Yeah, yes, everything. The knowledge, the but information. What, how about, um, so in this culture, the, the dads are just basically kept completely away from the birth process. And that will definitely affect bonding. Of course. And I know that. I mean, Of course. And so then then what impact does that have on the culture? So it's funny that you mentioned that because my generation, that's one of the reasons why we have, I'm not, I mean, not everyone has traumas, but I know that that affected through my life mm-hmm. completely, the relationship with my dad. He wasn't there and then he couldn't, he wasn't given the option, but maybe if he had the option, he would have said, no, I'm too scared. Yeah. And then... um. Growing up. Because I'm sure they hear it too. Yeah. I'm sure they don't want to actually witness their wife die. So. (laughs) And so then growing up, I I used to hear him say that he just couldn't or didn't want to carry me when I was a newborn because he was afraid of breaking me. Yeah. That was too fragile. And I know I'm not the the only one in my generation that had an absent dad because they just didn't know better. Mm -hmm. They weren't informed. They weren't... um, you know, given the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the fact that Latino cultures are male-centered and, you know, machista, where Mm. you, well, the dad doesn't change the diaper, the dad doesn't change the kid, the dad doesn't feed the baby, the dad works and brings money to the house. And that's their job. And that's their job. And And the mom's and the grandma's job is to take care of the child. Yeah. And so, and I still see it today. Yeah. I still see it. I, I see it in my family, in my family. And, and that's, I just, uh, I wish I could get on a soapbox and be like, ah, big soapbox. Well, this is a pretty gosh. big soapbox. So tell us how you feel about it really. <laughs> but I mean, just to illustrate how much of an uphill battle, this isn't about just sitting a woman down saying, you have choices, babe. Mm-hmm. It, this is, she has so many layers. Mm-hmm. I almost cultural. feel like, and where I was, do you even start? <laughs> I was telling my husband, like, gosh, being a midwife is not going to be enough. Am I going to have to be a, a therapist too? Yeah. Like, to be able <laughs> mm-hmm. to fix well, my Latino friends? Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to be able to bring a very um, neat perspective mm-hmm. to your sisters in the culture here. That's what I want. Yeah. You're going to be my, very, that's my goal. Very accessible. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. Yeah. So, yeah. It's really a generational generational thing. And that's what they mean when they talk about it's a Latino thing. And you hear it a lot in church settings where they talk about chains or patterns, mm-hmm. cadenas, you know, the this chain of pain, chain of abuse, chain. That's what they mean. It's um, like it's a generational mm-hmm. thing. It's passed down unconsciously. It's passed down without you like why would I want to pass down abuse to my daughter? Well, they don't know any better. But mm-hmm. but people that have access to podcasts and that I have access to social media. I was today, say, sometimes we're in kind of an echo chamber. <laughs> I'm just hoping that people listening to this will pick up some clues that they can just have it, a, a better understanding. Be yeah, and help. Yes, because they... there is the option of becoming aware. Mm-hmm. And when you become aware, then you can start you can start to make your own decisions. Like, do I want to be uh, a conscious parent? Do I want to be an informed pregnant mm-hmm. person and make my own decision? Or am I okay with giving the power to the doctor and trusting And you know what? That, that is can... fine, actually, too. Exactly. Totally fine. Exactly. But yeah. they have the option. And the other thing, too, is we can't now all become these advocates, go to every Latina. <laughs> so I'm going to be really politically incorrect here. Um, we can't now go to all the Latinas that we know and say, <laughs> guess what? I, I know your culture. And... <laughs> Guess what? You don't have to have a C-section. And, no. And no, please don't and do that. And this is just one person talking from my for perspective sure. and my research. But how do you support? So here's my question mm-hmm. for you. How do you support um, from an outside culture um, 
how do you support that mom? You know best for that mom. Yes. But you can't tell that mom. You, can't. you cannot. That is not your place. Mm-hmm. So how can you like provide, how can you make the path easier? Honestly, uh, just having a conversation about it. How would you start that conversation? Being willing to ask questions or being willing to listen more than asking. But if you ask questions, then but you're listen. willing to listen, right? <laughs> listen to the answer. Yeah. Like, um, like, what kind of questions do you feel? Why do you feel like you need a C-section? I mean, I don't want, to, I don't want it to feel demanding or judgmental. Mm-hmm. So what kind of questions? I would say that you would have to use your judgment mm-hmm. because every woman is different. And... I do have to mention that there is this label tagged onto Latinas that we're feisty and that we're, you know, we like to gossip. And and I hate the fact that I have that label on my forehead, even though I might not be feisty. Mm-hmm. What I am is that I know what I want, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not gossipy. I just, or problematic, I like to share my emotions i am transparent i've never been able to hide what i feel Mm -hmm. um and yes you know and so in my opinion just showing compassion from the from the place that you know you know you know the information right and so just being compassionate because like we've you've said this is a thing that is carried through generations yeah and they don't know any better And so, you know, using your voice and just talking about it, whoever wants to listen will listen. And there's also, I want to mention, even when you do make an empowered choice and you find yourself with a a great by-the-book textbook, Mm -hmm. empowered birth, Mm -hmm. there can still be like some confusion and some like head stuff going on. Like, well, maybe what did I do? Maybe I don't deserve this. Like, how did this happen? Like there may be, I mean, that's the postpartum sometimes speaking. Which is is where if you would ask me what does someone need because they need it because everyone needs it. It's it's a good birth team and postpartum support. Yeah. A good birth team looks like? A good birth team looks like maybe a doctor, an OB or a midwife um, that are willing to listen to your concerns without downplaying your needs mm-hmm. that are just there for you and that will make decisions when maybe you can't make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what, to me, a good birth team looks like. A partner who's informed and that you know how much does that partner want to be involved, yes. right? So a good birth team is your provider, who's willing to listen to you and um, take your opinions and your needs into consideration always. Mm-hmm. A partner, if you have a partner that is willing to share with you how much does that person want to be involved, mm-hmm. right? So that you have consent between you guys. Mm-hmm. Then you can, you should have someone else, an outsider. And that's where a doula comes in. You know, even if you have a midwife, midwives are all about doing everything naturally and whatever. But the midwife is there to keep all the clinical things in check. Yeah. So you need someone, a best friend that loves births, Mm -hmm. a doula that you hire, someone that is not uh, your direct family member. Because when things get thick in the situation, Mm -hmm. that person is an outsider. Mm -hmm. They're not... They might not be emotionally tied to the situation. They can be there mm-hmm. guiding you through. Okay. And then a good postpartum support is something that you should plan just like you plan your wedding and your honeymoon. It's really the most important thing after your birth, I believe. I yeah. know because I did not prepare for my postpartum and I went through that by myself and it was yeah. the worst time in my life because I did not prepare for it. Yes. And it doesn't well, that have to be is that a way. great segue to the next episode we should do together. Yes. <laughs> Postpartum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, preparing. Yeah. Yeah, and so how does that look like? Well, maybe you hire a postpartum doula and if you don't have the funds, that's what you ask for at your baby shower. Because mm-hmm. I swear you, you do can- not need more onesies. No. No. <laughs> Nobody needs more onesies. They spend more time naked anyway. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. And so postpartum care. 
postpartum care, a, post- a, a meal train, or that's a thing here in Utah, but like um, a group of people that are willing to cook a few meals for you and you have that stashed in your fridge mm-hmm. so that you can have nourishment, right? Um, a partner that knows that you need rest. And so when they come home, they'll take baby for an hour so that yeah. you can shower and maybe read a book. Or you can go to Target, you know? So <laughs> Wait, wait, what? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wait, I shopping said- alone? I think you're just, you're stepping some sort of line. I just- <laughs> and if you don't have a supportive partner, I'm sorry that you don't. But then who can you ask yeah. for that time? Can you ask a neighbor, a sister, a, a good friend of yours? And be specific as to mm-hmm. what you need. Yes, being specific. I need laundry. Have you seen those little snarky signs you can put on the door? Like, oh, if you're coming to hold the baby, fifteen minute, to buy 15 minutes <laughs> holding the baby, it's one load of laundry or something like that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would have been so useful for me. Right. Yeah. And uh, also, like, uh, preparing yourself mentally if you are like me and you have a hard time delegating and letting go of control, then understanding that you won't have control of mm-hmm. anything and if people are coming over to help, let them help because that was hard for me too. Oh yeah, take take their help and not mm-hmm. not micromanage not feel that shame help or or yeah, micromanaging and the reason and not why, guilt. That's a great point. The reason why I felt that way is because I I've always been like that, and I grew up on my own, basically. Like, so is it is own, it the Latina culture to be on your own after birth, or is that just no, something that's happened no. as you come here? It's happened over the years. Yeah. Because yeah. back in the good times, <laughs> <laughs> what I've heard is that it was more like a village. Yeah. And that's where the saying that... Uh, takes a village to raise a child. I know I heard a, a stat that, that um, engaged grandmas um, are the single most defining um they keep the babies alive that like, mm. like the, the survival of a species wow. is dependent on um, grandma like wow. moms will have more babies <laughs> and the babies have a higher rate of survival if grandma is involved and wow. i'm like oh yeah amen <laughs> well i guess i broke that little <laughs> well no in general though i mean not everybody has supportive moms and mother-in-laws but but in in general grandma plays a huge role in sense. the survival of it the species does make sense <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fascinating and I really appreciate your expertise and your insight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.